listening to First Church Charlotte. So it is my, it is my privilege always to be able to bring the word of the Lord, uh, to teach it, to preach it. It's the honor of our lives to hold it carefully in our hands. And I am I'm so honored by the Lord and by all of you to be able to teach the word of the Lord to you. We are we're living in such a unique time and such a strange year. I was joking with my wife between services that songs we needed to rewrite. If you notice, we no longer sing, breathe on me, breathe on me. That song is no longer sung, <laughs> although it's still a good song, <laughs> but it's just such a strange, strange year for us to, uh, to survive um, and the interesting thing is God often uses the junk in our lives, the pain. I thought I would have got an amen on that, but you guys haven't known any pain, have you? So you don't have a testimony of how God uses pain. God often uses the junk, and when he's done, he's made treasure out of it. I want to preach about that a little bit today. My, my title is simply this, Overcoming, Overcoming Evil. Uh, let me start by reminding you of a story that you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is the story of Joseph. Joseph, as a, as a young man, grows up in a family that is a covenant family. This family has been chosen by God as representatives in the earth. What was God's purpose in covenant partnering with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of course, the son of Jacob, Joseph? What was his point? What was God getting out of it? Uh, He wanted a people to represent him here on earth. Uh, He said, through you, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. God's plan from the beginning was to have a covenant people who would be spokesmen and women for him to share his great kingdom, his great truth to the world. Now this happens through the the life of uh, the patriarchs and this covenant of grace and mercy that the Lord made with Abraham. These young men growing up together, the sons of Jacob, they each of them have access to this covenant with God. And even so, they are very much young men living in a place and time uh, beset with all the fears, all the frustrations uh, that is true to anybody's experience. Uh, They thus, as a result of this, are unable to see past their irritation with uh, Joseph. Joseph commits many of the errors of youth. Um, He shares all that is in his heart. That's one of the signs of a fool is that he or she shares all that is in uh, their heart. Um, He has dreams. He has dreams from God, and it's easy for his brethren to see him not in the terms of a young man who is trying to find his place in the family. Uh, It's easy for his brethren to see him as one who seeks dominance over them. Um, And this creates, as you guys know in the story, this creates this tension. This this, uh, starts as dislike, uh, ends up as hatred. And the result of this hatred, this, this tension in the family, is a great crime, and that is this. The elder brethren uh, take him, they kidnap him, uh, they sell him as a slave to traders who travel between where they are and Egypt, and they will capture in one place and sell in another. This is uh, the original human traffickers, and they literally take their youngest brother whom they should have a protective instinct toward. Do you see? Uh, 
And instead of protecting, uh, they become the predator that preys upon uh, him. This is an evil. There's no way to make this story pretty, do you see? Uh, The Bible intentionally includes these kinds of stories because it's important for all of us to be honest about the state of the human heart, the state of the human condition. If we gloss over that, we will struggle with repentance. Did you hear what I just said? If you gloss over your need for a spiritual covering, if you rush past your potential for error and sin, you will always struggle to have a heart of true repentance. This is not the way to have a blessed life. I want to be the first one to repent, not the last one to repent. Some people can only repent after they've been caught out, after uh, the judgment has come. Now they discover a heart of repentance, and I believe they are repentant. Some people like to view people, when they, if they're repentant when they're caught, then they're not really repentant. That's, I, I don't buy that. Um, I, I think they can be really repentant uh, and really sorry after they've been caught. I believe they can, but it's, it's, it's always left with the question mark uh, if you would have just got away with it if you could. Now, if we are unaware of our need of repentance, it's going to be very difficult for us to live a life of repentance. And I need a life of repentance. You need a life of repentance. Yes, his mercies are new every morning, and my need for repentance is new every morning. And so as a regular spiritual discipline, we, all of us, should be quick to say, Lord, wash me. Wash these sinful hands. Purify this sinful heart. Let me be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Can I have a big amen? The brethren, uh, they, they, they prey upon someone who needed them uh, to protect him, and so Joseph ends up in Egypt. This is an ugly story, and there's no way to make it pretty. It is true evil. When the strong who should protect prey upon the defenseless and the weak, there's no way to make that pretty. It is evil. The Bible is not uh, sanguine about it. The Bible is not iffy about it. The Bible is clear. It is an act of evil. It's an act on one end of transgression against another person, but on the other, it is a perversion of their role. They have the role of the elder. And for them to prey upon the weak, this is exactly what Jesus is referring to when he speaks to self-righteous people in the New Testament. And he says, it would be better that a millstone were tied around your neck and you thrown into the deepest part of the see than for you to offend a little one. What is he talking about? This role of you having the responsibility of the strong, the responsibility of the elder, the responsibility of care. It's not just we're equals and I want to do good by you. It's more complicated than that. I am spiritually further along, I have a responsibility of an elder. The Bible uses that terminology. This is what is transgressed when Joseph is sold to Egypt. It's not just kidnapping. It is the very perversion of the responsibility of the brother, particularly the elder, the older brother. That is the evil that gets Joseph in Egypt. But God does not in stories with the triumph of evil. There is the continuation of the story. And you find yourself, if you follow the story, uh, at a moment, a great moment of, uh, shall we call it, a revenge opportunity. Something about the human heart. We love stories of real revenge. There's a ton of novels, uh, a ton of movies, a ton of shows about someone transforming themselves and getting final revenge as if to say, I'm going to show them and then I did. We love that. Now there's a moment, the ultimate revenge moment, the ultimate, to use a little bit of an older word, the ultimate comeuppance moment where they're going to get their just desserts. These brethren who have committed evil, they have personified evil, they're going to have their come to Jesus Jesus moment in Genesis chapter number 50 and this 
regent of Egypt is going to reveal that he's not just a random powerful person uh, in Egypt. He's more than that. Remember that younger brother who once was defenseless. Remember the younger brother who could not keep himself safe from you. Remember that young man who didn't have the sense to shut his mouth and stop offending people. Remember that young man who you found so easy to despise and ultimately to hate. And remember how you betrayed your role and you offended the family duty and covenant and you mocked the love of your father and you sold that young man into slavery. You trafficked that young man. Do you remember him? This This is the ultimate come to Jesus moment right here. When the region of Egypt says, yea, behold, verily, that is me. Now, this moment is, everybody who's ever done you wrong, you dream about this moment right here. You finally, the whole world has been turned upside down. The powerful have become powerless and the powerless have become powerful there are spiritual lessons here a day is going to come when the Lord returns and he is going to make right the broken paths of the human condition you're going to let me preach a little bit here today the Lord is going to return and everything that is crooked is going to be made straight justice is going to fall like rain now it's the injustice that falls like rain a day is going to come when the Lamb of God who was so seemingly defenseless that the princes and powers of this world crucified him to a tree oh a day is going to come he's going to return but it's not going to be like a lamb anymore He's going to come back like the lion of the tribe of Judah. Aren't you looking forward to that day? This all is imaged in the life of Joseph. And finally, uh, in this story, you see uh, the moment where evil is overcome. Now, I did not say defeated. If I were to use the language of defeating evil, you might would leave with the idea that what we really do is use power and we stop it from happening. But that would not be very helpful to you. Uh, To use that kind of language, that someone is uh, doing you wrong at work and you rebuked him in Jesus' name and then a Mack truck hit him, That, that would not be very helpful to you, although you might would like it, the carnal version of yourself might be excited as long as the Mack truck didn't like really get him, just kind of got him. You know, you know, don't act righteous with me. Um, That would be uh, very pleasing to your carnality, but it wouldn't be much spiritual help to you. Because here's what's interesting. Evil isn't defeated in the manner that one army defeats another. Evil isn't defeated in the manner of a magistrate sending a police force. I know some people wish that's the way the church operated, uh, but that's not how evil is defeated. In fact, if I use the language of force, power, defeat, and that kind of victory with you, I will not have done you much spiritual help in what it feels like to live in a fallen world as a representative of a heavenly kingdom. I'm going to say that again. If I give you the idea that you can rebuke the evildoer and they will repent and promptly bring you a chocolate cake, I will not have helped you very much. I will not have prepared you for what it feels like to be God's representative in a fallen world. So I want to use slightly different language with you. I don't want to use the language of defeat. I don't want to use the language of power. I don't want to use the language of stopping through force. I want to use a different language. I want to say evil is not defeated. Evil is overcome. You see, now that kind of language suddenly becomes very spiritually helpful to you because in your life, you will not simply, you won't have the experience of rebuking the evildoer and them repenting and straightening up. You will have the experience of surviving the evildoer and overcoming the evil. And so Joseph stands before his brethren and he doesn't say, look, I'll go back in time 
time and through power and authority, I'll stop you from doing what you did to me. That is not what he is able to do. And we cannot make that error in a spiritual application in this moment in which we are heavenly representatives in a fallen world. The idea is not that we turn back the clock on evil. The story is not one of going back and through force or spiritual power stopping the evil. The story is the evil is overcome. That's what I want to communicate to you today because some of you have survived very, very tragic things in your life. You are a walking, speaking testimony that God will bring you through tough times. Am I preaching the right church here today? Some of you guys have come through circumstances where you spent weeks of your life in sheer spiritual devastation. Everything you thought you knew was upside down because you had been visited by a an evildoer, someone who was willing to pervert their role, someone who was willing to transgress righteousness and ethics and morality, and here you are with the wounds and the fragments of that evil. I wish I could go back and with spiritual power and authority, make it as so it never happened, but that's not much of a testimony. That's not much of a victory report. You see, it's not that you will have never lost the harvest of the Lord. It's that you will have the lost harvest restored. Oh, I think I might preach on that a little bit. Everything you have gone through becomes part of God's testimony in your life. And so Joseph stands before his brethren and he says, I'm not going to say evil wasn't committed. I'm not going to pretend as though we can go back and fix it. I'm just going to see it as God would see it. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. This is the spiritual testimony of what God can do in your life. This is heaven's testimony of how God works in your brokenness. Yes, you cried all night long. Yes, you wept when your heart was broken. Yes, someone did you wrong. And yes, people lied about you. And yes, unkind things were said. But look at you. You're in the house of God today. Look at you. You still have a smile in your spirit today. You overcame evil. Oh, hallelujah. I'm here to remind you, you're an overcomer. Did you hear what I said? Not through your power, but through God's power. I'm here to tell you, you're able. You are mighty. Not through your power, but through God's power. Somebody needs to stand up in the middle of the mess they're living with and say, I'm an overcomer through Jesus Christ. Ten years ago, uh, I preached a message here. I don't expect you to remember it. I wouldn't have remembered it if I wasn't looking through my notes. Uh, I had a bad study week, and so I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I could not get, look, if you're a communicator, you understand what I'm talking about. I just had a bad study week. I could not get anything. And so in desperation, uh, about Saturday, um, I started going through old messages. Now, I know preachers aren't supposed to do that, um, but our band sings the same songs over and over and over. So I, I don't understand why it's okay for them to get up here, and if I don't produce something new, every time I'm up here, people's like, oh, pastor ain't praying. Well, what's the music people's fault? Are they not praying? Come on. I was like, you know, I know the Bible says sing a new song, but sometimes your, your voice ain't working. And I had a bad study week. Finally, on, 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 I think it was Friday, I just told my wife, I said, you know, I got nothing. I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to go back. Well, it's funny how um, you, you go back and you actually... Uh, get something going back. It wasn't really what you had, but that kind of got your, kind of broke the log jam. And so I, I, 10 years ago, I preached a message and there's an illustration in the message. Um, and I, the message was entitled, uh, paint it white and let it go, which is one of those titles I like to use sometimes, uh, because the idea is it might pique someone's interest. Like what in the world could that be about? And so then they'll be more inclined to listen to it. Um, I don't know if it helps me, but Hey, I try, I try. And so, um, the idea was how do you save the world 
from an asteroid? How do you save the world from a world-killing asteroid? There are asteroids above a certain size that it wouldn't just be a, a meteor in the sky. It wouldn't just be a boom at, you know, 70,000 feet. Uh, it would be world-killing. And uh, the one, the, the, the meteor that hit uh, uh, off the Yucatan Peninsula, and all these things are in the ge- geologic record of the earth. Um, it was about maybe 30 miles wide, uh, and that's, that it hits with not just the power of a nuclear weapon, but the power of millions of nuclear weapons. And so if, you, if we were to find an asteroid like that aimed at the earth, it's truly a world killer. How would we save ourselves? Uh, the obvious things don't work. Like if you hit it with nuclear weapons, it, it doesn't work. Uh, just breaks it up into a bunch of big, but the the, the energy delivered is the same. Um, and so anyway, without getting too deep into the physics and pretending like I understand them, uh, which I do not, um, they had to do, how would you save the world? And the idea that they came up with, and this was both done uh, by the University of Arizona and also Glasgow University in the UK collaborated on this. Um, and they pointed out the uh, Yarkovsky effect, which is different frequencies of color radiate uh, different uh, amounts of light. And um, uh, now an asteroid would be uh, object of uh, some ice, some mud, some rock, minerals. And, but if you could take the side that faces the sun and you could paint it white, um, instead of it absorbing, absorbing that solar energy, it would now reflect it. And that solar energy would now create a radiant force on one side because it was being reflected. And in spite of how big it was, if you could catch it with enough time, um, which is surprisingly less than you would think, um, if you could just paint one side of it white, uh, the you wouldn't have to move it because the sun would move it for you. You just needed to paint it white and let it fly and let the sun move it. And of course, the message that I preached uh, was use that as a theme, as an idea. Uh, the pain in our life that, that, that there comes a point where you, you really just need to change the way you think about it. You need to reframe it to use a, a word uh, that is, is popular nowadays. You need to change the way you talk about it, the way you think about it, maybe even the way you pray about it. Maybe the stuff in your life that is painful needs to be spiritually whitewashed (laughs) so the sun can shine on it. You see where I'm going with imagery here. This is fun. The sun can shine it. You can't move it out of your orbit, but if the sun could shine on it, the Yarkovsky effect, I'm just having fun with this, could push it a little bit out of line and thus save the world. So, yes, it's a tough time. It's a strange hour. Uh, Pew Research, which is an institution that, that does a lot of studies, demographic and civil uh, studies, um, some political but not, not just political, on all kinds of subject to gauge uh, where the populace is. Um, one of the highest readings ever, as far as I know, the highest reading ever of their research is uh, people who are angry right now. S- of, uh, 71% of people claim to be angry right now, and they struggle to tell you why. They, they cannot always put it in language why they're angry, but there's so much anger in our society. So just over 70% is admittedly angry. Uh, just under 70%, I think 66 was the number, um, they said that they were fearful. Angry and fearful. The highest recorded numbers. You, you want to know what, 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 what the world's feeling right now? They're angry and afraid. You want to know how your neighbors are feeling right now? They're angry and afraid. If we ever needed a church, we need a church in this hour. Your world is angry and afraid, and you are a voice of hope. You need to, you need to have a willingness in your heart to be spiritual peace in people's life because the whole world is wrestling with anger and fear. Less than 50%, 46% of people um, uh, say they feel hopeful at all. So less than half of the people can say they feel hopeful at all. Uh, s- only 17%, less than one in five Americans are proud 
of uh, America right now. There's this anger, there's this fear. 87% are dissatisfied with the way things are going. Only 12%, 1% didn't respond. Only 12% are satisfied. There is this great sense of frustration. And it makes sense. It is a tough time. Uh, I wonder how some of you guys are doing. I hope, I pray that you are not stuck in the same dead-end place of of anger and fear that the rest of the world is. I I pray that you have a heavenly connection in your life. I pray that the peace speaker speaks in your household. I pray that you have a prayer closet somewhere where you're able to have the healing balm of Gilead touch you and help you and bless you. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're living through, however many tears you have cried, however many sleepless nights you have lived, I am here to remind you, we face trouble, but not like the world does. We mourn, but not like the world does. We fear, but not like the world does us because God, the eternal God is on our side. And I'm here to tell you, you're going to come through your valley. You're going to come through your struggle. You're going to come through your pain. You're going to come through your fear. God has it under control. Can I have some agreement in this house? Uh, there is a trap when we're frustrated. There is a trap when we're fearful. There is a trap when we're angry. And uh, it is the trap of cynicism. Uh, let me share with you uh, one of the, uh, a book that, that I came across here recently. Carmen Renee Berry is well known uh, for her uh, self-help books. Uh, some of her books have been bestsellers. Her book, when Helping You is Hurting Me was a bestseller. Another book, I'm not, I think it was, I don't know if it was a bestseller, but it was quite popular, uh, uh, Daddies and Daughters. Uh, she wrote another uh, book uh, to help people who were seeking to develop some change in their lives, and she entitled it this, The Unauthorized Guide to Choosing a Church. Great title. The Unauthorized Guide to Choosing a Church. I'm going to read from that book. She says, I went my own way after college and went to a number of churches, Baptist, Presbyterian, and Charismatic churches, and here and there and everywhere. But for the last five years or so, I wasn't going to church. I was tired of the whole church thing. I was pretty cynical and very judgmental. But something significant happened to her. She says this, a close friend of mine committed suicide. It really shook me up and made me realize that it's kind of cool to be cynical, but it can be real dangerous too. You really don't grow spiritually when you're busy criticizing and sounding arrogant. I made a big turning point there and opened myself up to looking for spiritual community. I thought that was so good. You're used to hearing a a pastor or preacher say it. Here is a reality. There is a trap uh, that is on the other side of our anger, the other side of our frustration, and it is just to be cynical uh, about life. And what cynicism allows you to do is it allows you to keep good faith with yourself while presuming bad faith about everyone else. You're able to live in this world of denial where you do what's right but other people don't. You follow the rules, but other people don't. And the next step of cynicism is this. You might as well cheat too because everybody's doing it. And you might as well lie too because everyone is doing it. And whenever we are fearful and whenever we are afraid and whenever we are struggling, we have at our feet right there like a trap waiting in disguise. Cynicism beckons us, allowing us to live presumptuously. We're the good actors. It's other people who are crooks. We're the honest ones. Other people are dishonest. And cynicism allows us to be both judgmental and self-justifying. This is so handy for the carnal human heart because you get to both judge others, the self-righteous, and justify yourself, be unrighteous. You want to be both the Pharisee and the sinner. 
Mm, it's quiet in the church house now. This is the cynicism trap, and it is a swamp of despair because you end up with the worst of both worlds. Not the worst of one world. If you wanted to be a Pharisee, yeah, you might be judgmental, but at least you would be orderly in your life. And if you wanted to be a sinner, yeah, you'd be a great person to have a party with, but your life's a mess and spiritually disorganized. But here comes the cynic, and they have the judgmentalism of the Pharisee, and they have the transgression of the sinner, all while proclaiming themselves righteous. This trap of cynicism is where the vast majority of us go when we're sick of being angry and we're sick of being fearful. We hide in cynicism. Dearly beloved, these things ought not to be the case with people of faith. It's not enough for me to believe the good about God. I need to fight to believe the good about you. It's, this is what a church is built on. I'm going to give you some scripture here in just a moment. This is what a church is built on. It's not enough for me to believe good about God and my favorite three people in the church. I need to strive to believe good about other people. It is out of that that spiritual completion happens. Remember, it's not enough to love God. You need to love your brother also. It's not enough to have the vertical. You need to also have the horizontal. In fact, don't say you love God if you can't love one another. The opposite of the cynic is the person who fulfills what God has asked them, what is required of a man to do justly, do justice and walk humbly, to do justice and walk humbly. That is the opposite of cynicism. What do you do? You do what's right like the Pharisee should. But you don't judge anybody. Why? Because you walk humbly as though you have no more worth than a sinner. This is what good church is all about right here. You want to feel what God's people feel like? It feels just like this. God save us from the trap of this cynicism that works in our generation and allows people to dismiss everything that is of God. Dismiss every good work that the church does. Dismiss everything God could do through them. The cynicism trap is real. Stay with me a moment more. So, yes, our generation is complicated, but let me take you to the first century church in Rome. Uh, Their spiritual reality and their spiritual challenges were more difficult than ours. This is why I would say such a thing. We struggle with tensions in our society. Yes, they struggled with more. We struggle with different types of people learning how to be reconciled one to another. They struggled with more. They had Jews and Gentiles in the same churches. There were, after the destruction of Jerusalem, after the the exile where 70 AD, where Rome destroys uh, Jerusalem, uh, there were uh, 50,000 Jews who moved to live in Rome. And there, many of them, some historians say most, of them, many of them became believing Christians. You want to talk about a politically touchy subject. Can you imagine going to a first century church and here you have Jews and Gentiles and someone brings up the temple? How difficult was it to pray the tabernacle plan when the people whose political civil order destroyed the temple are sitting by the people who were worshipers at the temple. You talk about a subject that you have to leave at the door of the church. Now, all churches have politics that should be left outside the door of the church. Why? Because this is not a political organization. We're here to worship God. Can I have a great big amen? We're here to glorify God. We're here to edify one another. But you want to talk about a church that had difficulty. They had some political too hot to handle subjects, but they had church anyway. Not only that, we have some risk. Yeah, sometimes someone on social media will find out you're a Christian and make some snide comment. Um, Yeah, you might have a little bit of that kind of a thing, but no one's arresting you and your family. No one is throwing you in a pen with hungry lions. No one is making you fight a gladiator for sport or show. They had it much more difficult than we ever dreamt. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes to them 
chapter number 12, referring to all of these tensions. Remember, you have political tensions like Rome versus uh, Jerusalem. Uh, You have political tensions uh, of that nature. You have civil tensions where you have slave owners and slaves in the same church. You think we have a hard time getting along, and they were asked to leave it all those things at the door, and when they came in the church, treat one another as equals. You want to talk about a practical church? Don't criticize a church for being practical. Read you some church history. (laughs) Yes, it was wrong, and they managed to keep from losing their faith over it. There's going to be things wrong in this generation, and we're going to need to hold on to our faith in the midst of things that are wrong. Our faith doesn't make it right. Our faith moves past it and says, we're going to have to fix that politically. We're going to have to fix that legally. We're going to have to fix that civilly. In the meantime, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, it's quiet. That's all right. Romans 12, verse number 9, Paul writing to a church that has more tension than we ever have experienced. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. In love of the brethren, be tenderly affectioned one to another. In honor, preferring one another. In diligence, not slothful. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. How, how, how are we doing on our patience in tribulation? If you're not doing great, that scripture was for you. Patient in tribulation. Uh, continuing steadfastly in prayer, communicating to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Lord, I wish that wasn't in the scripture because there's some people who need a good cursing. But it's in there. So you know what that means? I don't get to curse them. I didn't get as many amens on that. That's okay. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Man, why did you have to put that in there? Rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one to another. Set not your mind on high things, but condescend to things that are lowly. What are you saying, Paul? Quit competing one with another. Quit trying to show how good you're doing to somebody who isn't doing as good as you. Quit exalting yourself. If they're having a tough time, weep with them. If they're blessed, rejoice with them. Your brother and your sister are not your competition. They're your brother and they are your sister. Be not wise in your own conceits. Don't think too highly of yourself. Render to no man evil for evil. Take thought for things honorable in the sight of all men. Don't just live so church people approve of you. Live where all people approve of you. Mm Mm-hmm. If it be possible, as much as in you lieth, be at peace with all men. Avenge not yourself, beloved, but give place unto the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. But if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Every time I read that, every time I read that, I think to myself of Paul writing this, knowing people in the church that had their family betrayed to persecutors and they lost family members to the persecutor because of somebody who spoke out against them. They lost loved ones. And Paul is saying, leave vengeance for the Lord. Don't take it into your own hands. And then notice verse number 21. This is really back to the brass tacks of what we're talking about here today. Be not 
overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember the language I did not want to give you because I thought it was spiritually misleading. The idea that you can rebuke evil and not have to face it. The idea that you can pretend as if it didn't happen. The idea that through force or spiritual kung fu, you can make it stop sometimes more often than not. You cannot fix it through power. Yes, it happened. Yes, you suffered it. Yes, they are toxic every time they connect with you. Yes, they lie about you. You aren't going to defeat evil. You're going to overcome evil. Somebody to say it with me, overcome evil. And how are we going to do it? We're going to do it by the good. There is a contest. Church, hear me. This is church preaching right now. There is a contest. You cope by injecting hatred and anger and rage, or you cope by injecting good and love and promise and hope. There is a battle that's going on in the world. Everybody's trying to cope. Are you hearing me today? Everybody is trying to cope. You're not the only one who gets frustrated when things go wrong. You're not the only one who feels fear. Everyone is trying to cope, but they're doing it in very different ways. And this becomes the lived out manifestation of good versus evil. If you cope through more anger, you're on the wrong side. You need to had you need to repent. You need to get on the right side of this thing because the world needs a church more than it's ever needed the church and the world needs the church to speak hope when everyone else is feeling despair the world needs you to speak promise when they're only experiencing loss we become the personification of the kingdom of God here on earth we overcome evil by doing the good and here's the good thing that is promised to you and I'm almost done in fact our musicians can come here's the good thing that is promised to you this is not just a way of living life this is a spiritual accomplishment. Did you hear what I just said? This isn't just a psychological coping scheme. This is a spiritual accomplishment. Everybody says they want to change the world as long as they can rebuke the devil and then go to the restaurant. And then at the restaurant, talk bad about the people who've been talking bad about them. Mm, Lord, help us. Everybody wants to rebuke, everybody wants to speak the name and then go out and do the same thing that they're in the habit of doing, but you must see the contest of kingdoms that are being manifest here. It's not that we have the power to defeat the choices the world makes, it's that we have the power to overcome the choices that the world makes. And we as the house of God, we as people of faith, we truly live the life of the overcome This is something that is manifest exactly here in this passage we read. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That Greek word there is a word you know very well because one of the most famous American brands is that word. And the word you're just dying to know is Nike. Yes, they made a great empire, sports empire, out of the word Nike. But you know what the Apostle Paul, if you want to know what kind of tennis shoes the Apostle Paul wore, he wore Nikes. (laughs) He said, be not Nike of evil, but Nike evil with good. What are you saying? This in the Greek literally is to prevail to prevail over. The contest was real. The battle raged long. The struggle was uh, notable. But we overcame. We overcame evil with good. And so I want to tell you some true things. 
Here you go, number one. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world. Yes, it is true. In this world, there is tribulation. But just as some people cope through the negative, you can cope through the positive. And the advantage is your life becomes the personification of a heavenly kingdom in the here and now. Why do you think that if you want to learn how to change the world, you read how they change the world in the New Testament? And you read of things called the fruit of the spirit these are the signs of the overcomer's victory you read of the power of spiritual love everything else fails but this charity of God does not fail even spiritual things fail the power of tongues the power of angels the power of spiritual knowledge these things fail but love what are we trying to do influence our world love never fails your life is a life lived of testimony and victory. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And so Joseph stares back at his brethren. And he doesn't say it doesn't matter. And he doesn't say it didn't happen. And he doesn't say, oh, no big deal. It didn't hurt much. All that would have been untrue. He doesn't say it wasn't evil. He sees it as it is. And then he says, yes, I see what you did, but God was working too. And God's power is greater than your power. Now, this is the same thing that's true in the New Testament. Yes, tribulation is going to try to destroy your faith. Yes, the enemy comes in like a flood. Yes, temptation is real. Yes, there are toxic people in your life. Yes, careers have ups and downs. Yes, sometimes you're broke and sometimes you're rich. Well, rich-ish. Sometimes you're sick and sometimes you're well. Yes, 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 yes. All those things are troublesome. All those things are painful. But while hell was working, God was working too. And God's power trumps the pain in your life. Oh, I'm trying to preach to somebody here today. You have wrestled and you have tossed and you have turned and you have cried until your eyes feel like sandpaper and you have wondered if it mattered, what was the point and you have sat there in your struggle and in your pain and you had to be honest, that trouble was very troublesome. If you'd like to write that down and think about it later, there's some depth in that right there. Your trouble was quite troublesome. But while trouble was afoot, there's you a, a good uh, a word that we should bring back right there. While trouble was afoot, God was working. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Everything in your life that is a source of pain and agony, I've come to preach to somebody today and say, don't forget that while you're surviving, God's still working. And you can overcome evil with good. Yes, there is a contest of kingdoms in the here and now. And some people inject the world with negativity. They inject the world. Just look at their social media. They're mad. They're angry. They're disgusted. They're contemptuous. And it just pours out of them like a river of contempt. Everybody, always, everybody's doing it. They're out to get you. They're out to, that, that's their coping mechanism. They really didn't wake up and decide, I'm just going to be the devil today. No, that's their coping mechanism. Why? Kingdoms are at war. Oh, but the people of God, we have junk in our life too. And it's not that we can rebuke it and then go to the restaurant, pretend like it didn't happen, but we can overcome it through the power that God has invested in us. And through the work of Jesus Christ, you are more than a conqueror. I said, you're more than a conqueror. I want to speak to the tired person today and say you're more than a conqueror. I want to speak to the person who's wrestling with bitterness because of you know what happened. 
you're more than a conqueror. You can manifest the power of God in your world. And yes, it was ugly. And yes, it was terrible. But you didn't stop praying, did you? You didn't stop speaking the word of God into your life, did you? You did not stop celebrating the promises of God, did you? No. Through it all. Somebody say, through it all. 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 Preachers repeat ourselves. Through it all, I'm still believing the promises of God. And through it all, I'm still clapping my hands in praise. And through it all, I'm still saying he's a way maker. And through it all, I'm still saying now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before you. The throne of his glory be exceeding joy. Oh, let's stand all across the house. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you lift your hands, lift your hearts right now. Lord, I want to praise you for victory in the life of the believer. I want to praise you for overcoming power in the life of the believer. I want to praise you because although troubles are all around, you have not abandoned us. You have not left us alone. You have not set us aside, but we are yours and you are mine. I'm praying for the person who is struggling with cynicism. I pray that you would help them see through the lie of it. I pray you would help them see through the trap of it. Help them see through the self-indulgence of it and choose to believe good things about you and good things about the church and good things about their brothers and sisters uh, to do justice and walk humbly. Lord, save us from a generational trap of cynicism. Save us from the judgmentalism that it breeds within us. Save us from the doubt and despair it breeds in us. The self-justification that it breeds with us. Oh God, instead, wash us that we would be white as snow. Purify our hearts, oh God, that we manifest the kingdom of heaven. And though evil comes, that which we reflect into the world is whatsoever is good, what is ever honest, what is ever true. The things of God, the promises of heaven. We paint the trouble white. And we rely on the sun to move it out of its world-killing orbit. In Jesus' name. So there's a lot of stuff in your life that's nearly nearly killed you or tried to kill you. And you're like, how do I get it out of, get it out of my life? Well, let me use the image of the comet that we talked about at the beginning. If you just paint it white, it radiates the power of the sun and the sun moves it right offline. How would we do that spiritually? How could we take the things in our life that are painful and hurtful and try to kill us? And how do we, as it were, paint it white and let the sun move it away? How do we, as it were, to use a metaphor, paint it white? I'm going to tell you how I think so. With the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart, you take that which the devil meant for evil and you paint it white. I don't know why I went through that, Lord, but I'm going to trust that you have it all under control. And the rays of the sun move its power a little bit away from you. Yes, that nearly broke me, Lord. And I, I'm st- if I'm honest, I'm still a little bitter. I'm trying to get over it. But if I'm honest, I'm still a little bitter. But Lord Jesus, here's what I say today before all of my brethren and all of my spiritual sisters here today. This is what I say. The enemy meant it for evil. But while the devil was working, you were working too. And so I give it to you. I just paint it white and give it to you. You have it in your hands. You have it all under control. You're going to move it out of its threat to my life and my heart. How many of you would be honest today and say you need, there's some things in your life that you you readily confess you need continual healing for. Would you raise your hand all across the house? You need continual healing for. You do well <laughs> for a little while and then what happens? Well, the... Enemy's always there at the door, and he's always looking, and and you need a fresh healing. Let me tell you, 
Healing is real. Spiritual healing is more important than physical healing, but physical healing is real too. We celebrate that as a church. We believe that and pray for that. But spiritual healing enables you to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old you is spiritually dealt with and the new you arises in new hope and spiritual joy. I want to pray right now for that thing that has kept coming back to you. I want you to join me in prayer by confessing it to the Lord. Lord Jesus, you know exactly those trials of our life that always seek to creep back in and fill our hearts with cynicism and despair. You know those things, those hurts. We, we, we survived it initially, but it's always there waiting to catch us in a moment of weakness as though our spiritual immune system was compromised and then it can come back with pain and loss and tears and anger. It can come back. Lord Jesus, let healing be renewed in that specific arena and more importantly let that healing continue where our body is stronger our spiritual man the spiritual woman within is stronger and stronger and stronger and we learn to recognize and identify that threat and we become spiritually vaccinated against that threat in Jesus name we pray we ask for it to be manifest among us we ask for it to be manifest among us in Jesus name we pray Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. All across the house, would you take a moment, direct your heart heavenward. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is how I find my This is how I fight my I'm looking for a way that we can join our prayer together and, and in the manner that we would normally have a gathering and a prayer time and we pray one for another, which is very biblical and we do uh, in this time of social distancing. It, 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 it's so apostolic for us to pray one for another that it's just weird not to be able to have service where we do that. And yet we understand, you know, it's appropriate to, to have our, our care that we're taking right now. So we did this in the 9 a.m. service and we're going to do it. We're going to do it in this service. Uh, we're not going to come up to the front, but what I'd like you to do is uh, I would like you to, um, as it were, turn in your seat and, and connect with someone visually. Uh, and so let's do this. If you have a need that you're praying praying for right now raise your hand all across the house you have a specific need you're praying for we're not you some of you like i don't know if i'm are you gonna lay hands on me no we're not going to get within six feet of you we're going to stay right where we are just raise your hand all across the house you you have a need it may be healing it may be uh anything turn around church turn around in your seats and look and connect with someone connect with that person don't just pray vaguely i want you to extend a hand toward that person would you do that right now we're going to pray specifically for someone all across the house i want you to those of you who are with your family you can pray one with another of course you're in the same household but the rest of you connect with somebody you're praying for them you're not praying vaguely you're praying for them 
Let's pray all across the house right now. Lord Jesus, you know exactly the need that is in my sister's life. You know exactly the prayer request. I am praying for her, oh God. I'm praying for your touch upon her. I'm praying for your healing in her life. I'm praying for your answers, your demonstration of power in Jesus' name. I'm praying for my brother. You know exactly the need that he has brought before you. You know exactly the prayer request that he is speaking before you right now. I am praying, God, that you would minister upon how. I'm praying you would manifest your glory in his life, oh God. I'm praying, Lord Jesus. I'm believing. I'm trusting. I'm speaking victory over them today. I'm speaking spiritual authority upon them today. Lord God, give them a passion for your house. Give them a passion for your promise. Give them a celebration of how you're keeping them. In Jesus' name, I'm praying your confidence. I'm praying your strength. I'm praying your anointing. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. It may look like it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Oh, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battle. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is how I fight my battle. We speak your name. We proclaim your promise. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battle. I want to tell you guys a, a quick testimony before you're dismissed. Uh, you never know where a, a sermon or a Bible study is going to go. Uh, I get statistics from our various venues of, of putting it out there. And to my surprise, we have the largest non-American audience we have is in Ireland. I don't know what it is about my personality, but evidently they like me in Ireland, so... I'd, let me just say this. I'd li- like to connect with all those people. Um, if you would send me an email, pastor at First Church CLT, if you're watching this in Ireland, I'd like to connect with you. Why not? Pastor, firstchurchclt.com. The second largest audience we have is Russia. I don't know why. Evidently, Russians love me. Who would have who thought it? If you're from Russia and you would like to send, a, send me an email, maybe I'll come to Russia and visit you. I, I, why not? Pastor, firstchurchclt.com. You never know where a message is going to go. So this morning, a gentleman gave me a testimony. Um, some of you would know him, but I don't have his permission to say his name, so I'm not going to do that. Um, he told me that for years he struggled with uh, claustrophobia serious serious claustrophobia and he said when he was a child he was bullied and they would they would put him in a box and um, lock him up in this box and he said it started then because they would lock him up in this box and um, uh, he said his whole life he's faced terrible claustrophobia and he said you preached a message a few weeks back where you used the example of, of having to face your fears 
And I remembered the message. I didn't remember all of it. I'd have to look at my notes. But I remembered that, that message the ne- uh, where I used as one of my points how the best way through fear is to face it. And um, he said, I haven't been able to ride elevators my whole life. He said, because when I get in an elevator, I remember being locked in that box. He said, and I just, I, I, I massive anxiety attack. He said, and I listened to you preach that message. He said, and I had to come tell you. He said that I stood outside that elevator and I said, Pastor Nathan says I have to face my fears. <laughs> he said, and I decided I was getting on an elevator. <laughs> He said, so I stood out there and I kept telling myself I was getting on that elevator. And he said, I want you to know I am now riding in elevators. <laughs> it's a fun, it's a fun illustration. You never know where it's going to end up. You never want to know where it's going to go. But here is what I want to leave you with. Yes, there's junk in your life. Evil is real. We have to separate evil from the person doing it. They're not the same thing. We have all been the person doing evil, and God loved us in our sins, and through that example, we love even people doing evil, but we recognize the evil as a manifestation of the wrong kingdom. We, as a church, do not fight anger with anger. We do not fight rage with rage. They project one thing into the world as a coping mechanism. We project something else into the world as a coping mechanism. And I just want to say this. His way is the best way. You can do more with joy than you can ever do with anger. You can do more with hope than you could ever do with despair. Oh, one more time, let's praise the Lord all across the house. Oh, we bless your name. We exalt you, oh God. We magnify your name. That's it. Put your hands together. Lift your voice. Give God a shout of triumph. We bless you, oh God. We glorify you. Hallelujah. God bless you. You could be dismissed. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.